Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Robbie Calland is in the building. We're going to have a good time. Uh, we wanted to talk about the Hawks a lot on this podcast. And look, it, it's important to talk about basketball. This is ostensibly a basketball podcast. In theory. But like, I'll be honest, really the reason I had Robbie on was to talk about like Fast and Furious 9. Um I, I know that Robbie right. in in lieu of the game in lieu of game two I saw it and then I was like oh I'll catch up on the game and it was I only had to catch up on one half of basketball because it was all that mattered it was great yeah the, the, it saved me like an hour yeah and I'll introduce him uh, it's the father the father of Uprock Sports it's Robbie Calland just an absolute legend of the Game Theory podcast Robbie it's good to have you here. How's it going? It's great, to, it's great to be here. I'm doing I'm doing fantastic. Uh, <laughs> I got to I got to get back with the family last night in the theater. You know, I mean, what can you can't ask for more? I mean, we'll we'll get into it more. But it was it was a lovely experience, first theater experience in seventeen months or something. Um, couldn't have asked for anything more. You know, the, and look, the well, wait, time, 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 time. No, 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 no. no. We're, let's let's talk playoffs first. I, I want to okay. be able to give full spoiler warnings for people here. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. We're definitely going to talk uh, quite a bit yeah, about yeah, yeah. what happened in this. Fast no, I was, I was movie. just I was just saying the basketball has been terrific. So yeah. like work wise, it's been lovely. You know, like there there are some years where the first round's not a lot of fun to work. You know this. Yeah, it's there tough. there are years where there are years where there's like one or two good series, and then we're just slogging through the rest. And, and I feel like we had probably five legitimately fun series, even if they didn't go the distance in round one. And round two was good as well. Yeah. So it's, no. you know, I can't I can't complain about the basketball so far, which is odd given how many people have been out. Yeah, and given just the level of complaints that people have had about just like, mm-hmm. oh my god, the ratings, they're gonna be terrible. Oh my god, there are no and, stars and in the playoffs. And they've been amazing actually. Like the ratings and, Yeah, are here. And the thing so. about that is everybody the same people that complain about the ratings complain that the NBA doesn't do a good job marketing new stars and i'm like do you know how you market new stars to people who watch the game casually have them in big important games it's the only way it works people don't care like because guess what devin booker's been a guy that people know who he is for a while but what was the complaint about devin booker empty stats what's been the complaint about trey young empty stats well now they're in big games now we get to see them doing it and winning and that's how you build stars yeah so if like you, the same, you can't complain about the same two things that conflict with each other. Yeah, you don't get to do it. Like I, I mentioned this on the last podcast with James. Like you can't complain. Well, first and foremost, if the NBA can't make a star out of Trey Young, it will have miserably <laughs> failed. Yes. Like that that motherfucker's taking bows in MSG. That dude it. is shimmying on the court. Like what are we doing here? Right. Yeah. Like if if you can't make a star if you can't make a villain out of that guy for everyone yes. else and a superstar for atlanta fans out of mm-hmm. trey young i mean come mm-hmm. on guys like what are we doing here he's throwing off the backboard passes like he's making shit as fun as humanly possible within basketball but yeah like 100 percent. i think people like seeing new things i think that there's a reason that TV shows don't go on for 95 seasons. It's because they get stale. I think sometimes the NBA for the casual fan can feel like it's getting a little bit stale. And even though these people that are casual fans love basketball, 
they also get bored by the it's same teams winning. Product. I mean, like most people view the NBA like a, like their favorite TV show, like you said. So if you feel like you've seen this episode before, you're probably not tuning in, right? Until the very end, because you know you might want to check out the finals. But you know you you can't complain that there's no parody, and then when there's parody, say, well, this is bad for the league. Yeah, and it's like it, they, look, like this is where it starts. This is where you start getting the chance to talk about these other teams as legit contenders. Because what happens so often is we talk, oh, like this this is a new fun team. <laughs> and then they get shit on by LeBron, and everybody goes, "Oh, they were frauds." Right, right, right. Like think about the think about the Raptors before they made before the Raptors made their title run. That's what that that was the Raptors' issue. Is everybody was like, "Oh, like regular season team." And so we we have these designations of uh, you know eighty two game teams versus sixteen game teams, and, and the same with players. And, and it's it's just good to see some fresh faces showing up in that. 16 game conversation and i think it's been great and it obviously helps that the basketball's been good the basketball's you know, been great we have game two of that sun series outrageous even if it took an hour to play the last three minutes outrageous stuff um even game one of that series game one of the the hawks bucks series was so much fun um every game in that hawks Sixers series was wild as hell because you at, at some point you were like well it doesn't matter what the Sixers are up by they're going to lose this game. Let's find out how. <laughs> it was great. It was delightful. And like and, and like you said, like it's not just it's not just that we have new teams. It's that we have new faces showing up that are like playing their roles. Yeah, Devin Booker is a hero. He's not a villain. I think he he wasn't sure what he was supposed to be for a while. Yeah, you know. And some of these young guys have the. And Trey Young, I think, was the same way. He didn't embrace the villain stuff until this year in full. Yeah. And it's it can be hard. And, like, I understand it. It can be hard to do. It can be hard to embrace the fact that 90% of NBA fans are going to hate you. Like, it can be really, it can be really like, to, to think that people are just going to want you to fail. But to learn how to revel in that and to learn how to just make them at least respect you. Yep. I've loved seeing that from Trey. Because, look, like, it, it has not been a secret that... I have never been a big Trey guy. And, and for, is, for people who don't know, like Robbie covered Trey for a year, right? In Atlanta before we moved to I, I was, I was out. I was out. You were out. I was, I was gone by then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was so, gone Trey's first year. I was Robbie covered and then I moved. Yeah. Robbie covered the Hawks for a long time in Atlanta. Uh, and then yeah, seven years. Robbie also right lives in Phoenix or lives in Flagstaff. And I do. you know, occasionally goes in and covers the phoenix suns so i thought robbie was going to be kind of the perfect person to have on this podcast and he is because he's covered two of these very you know prevalent teams in the nba right now and arguably two the two biggest stories i think in the nba right now like i think the bucks are going to win this series i think that uh the suns probably win this series but the clippers are at least going to make it competitive it's going to be six or seven for sure yeah um but you have been around both of these incredibly important teams in the construct so continue on trey i just wanted to contextualize it for people who don't always listen to the episodes with you yeah so um the thing with trey is like i wasn't sure how to translate he has proven me and a billion other people wrong right that's not a secret and and my thing is like look like at this point if you don't believe in trey and what he can do on the basketball court like then you're you're legitimately just not watching 
at this yeah. point. Like, yeah. there are still flaws in the game, but what he does is so great. Like, I had, I, I was like, when he was, and look, like, it's not, I'm not a draft guy, so. Right. I was coming in having watched Trey at Oklahoma in the ESPN games that he was on often. Um, <laughs> all of them. And all of them. So I like, I, like Trey was one of the guys I felt like I'd seen a lot. And I was like, well, like the dude chucks, like he wasn't a great finisher at the rim. So I was like, is he going to be able to do that in the NBA? That sort of thing. But look, the man has made the floater his kingdom. And that's such a, like he, he saw like the thing that I think is really important about Trey and his development is he knows what he's not great at and he finds ways to either just like make it not matter or find ways to, to bolster everything around it. So yeah. like he's not the best finisher at the rim, but he's gotten better at it. And two, it doesn't matter because he doesn't want to get to the rim and it throws everybody off. Right. It's like him and John, this new wave of guys who realize like, I don't have to get layups like, I'm going to be a 53% guy from the floater range. Right. And, like, at some point, you just have to say, like, that's a good shot. Like, it, it, you know, it was one of those things for years. Like, well, if you make a guy shoot that, like, that's, you know, good job. If he makes it, you tip your hat. But this time you have to try to find a way to take that away. And he couples that with just he can shoot the floater and the lobs look the exact same. And I'm still not sure how Capello and Collins know. There must be some <laughs> eye thing. But, like... He shoots these things, and I'm like, how has there never been a basket interference on one of these guys? Yeah. Because, like, I would be I would be like, shit, I don't know, like, this lob, question mark, and, like, go grab one that's above the rim. Um, <laughs> but, but like, he, he's, he's so crafty with that, and I'm interested to see how he, how he goes forward now that there's going to be some rule changes on the, the stop-start stuff and the jumping in the guys and stepping backwards. And that's going to take some things away, but he'll adapt. Like he adapted, he he made he made the way it plays now as adva- advantageous to him as possible. I, I'm going to be honest. I don't like. I think it's going to be really, really hard for them to litigate for them to litigate that because yeah. a lot of what happens with him is very run into him. It's yeah, subtle. it's it's very obvious contact. Yeah, like it's not like some of these dudes like kicking out their feet on three pointers where it's MP, very mpj is gonna get so many offensive fouls yeah. three-point shot because like he kind of naturally does that and then he he i think he got called I've, he's the only guy i've seen get called for multiple kickouts this year mpj yeah and it's because when he whenever he does exaggerate his natural motion does kind of split his legs and when he exaggerates it, it i mean he looks like he's trying to do a mid-air split and the refs are like get out of here yeah, you know, and he's the only guy that gets hit with that. But I, I'm with you. Like Trey stuff is so so he he's gonna have to figure out how you know when it when he doesn't get it he can he can get to that spot where he leans and jumps in because he he kind of misjudges where the guy behind him is and the guy will kind of run by him and then he'll go oh and try to jump in and he'll have to cut those out. But you're right. I mean, he's so good at kind of snaking that pick and roll to where he gets the guy legit behind him and then he just stops and goes for a pull up and there's nothing they can do. They're just going to run into him. And that's not going to change because he's not jumping backwards. He's just yeah. stopping and going up for a shot. So I'm with you. Like, it's going to be interesting to see how he continues evolving, but I trust him to continue evolving because he's very clearly an offensive genius. Yeah. That, that, see, like, this is the thing with Trey Young. Like, I think that what people don't recognize enough is that he is probably one of the three best ball handlers in the NBA. 
and he just carves up space. Yeah. He just absolutely carves up space. So in these well, drop he, scenarios, like yeah. if you drop your big man and you drop him too far back and you mm-hmm. keep giving Trey the space and you let him get downhill and your big still has to back up in order to deal with it because he thinks, okay, I can just back up and then right. I can contest the floater. Right. You've lost because then your defense just naturally is going to have to collapse once he gets into the middle of the paint. Like it, he just well, so thing- naturally eats up space. You can't let him. That's the thing right. that you have to stop him from doing. You can't let him just eat up space like and that. And that's what the Bucks did in game two. That's right. what Brooke did so much better. He met him above the free throw line and he pushed him off of his spot. So you, if you watch Trey in game two, there were a lot of times where he would get to that elbow area, right where the free throw line yep. hits the corner, and he would get pushed out. And what that does is it allows Brooke more time to get back. It allows Drew a straight line to get between Trey and the basket. Yep. And it's not the area he wants to shoot his floater. So you buy yourself more time, and it takes a special amount of effort and talent to do that. And game two was one of the best Brooke Lopez defensive games. That first half was one of the best defensive halves you'll ever see from a center. He was outrageous. Yeah, I agree. I thought that Brooke was really, really good in game seven of the net mm-hmm. series and i he thought was he was fantastic. really really good in game two of this and i series. think the question that you have to ask is how much energy is that gonna take because they were working and yeah. the nice thing was they got up by a billion and could rest everybody but there's gonna be nice where the hawks hit, hit shots that they didn't last night um and the question is can you do that for 48 minutes because that's gonna take a lot but i i think the biggest thing is with trey and this goes to your eating up space He's such a genius that if you show him the same look over and over and over again, he internalizes the read and he doesn't have to see them anymore. If he sees the one guy, he knows where his keys are. Yep. So if you show him the same drop over and over and over again, the moment he sees which guy helps, he knows where that pass goes. He doesn't have to see the man he's throwing the pass to. And that's the difference between an elite passer and a very good passer. That's what separates Trey and LeBron, and Jokic, and Doncic. Yep. Is they don't have to see the guy they're passing to. They just have to see the read. And it's that, what, like quarter second difference that gets guys wide open shots and gets guys contested shots. And it's the the ability for all four of those guys, particularly, to have such incredible control over the ball to be able to make a pass off of a live dribble. Don't have to stop their momentum. Don't have to jump stop. Don't have to get both hands on the ball. They can both just whip a pass off the bounce, left hand, right hand, it doesn't matter. And like you said, it goes directly in the shooting pocket. Yeah. And and that's what makes him so tricky. Like, I, I think that you're right. If you show him the same look enough, Trey is going to figure it out. So, you know, look, Mike Budenholzer's gotten a lot of shit, and you covered Mike for a lot of years. Like you understand the I know Mike very well. the The amount of, uh, or I guess, the lack of adjusting that is prevalent in his style he has of coaching. Done so much better this playoffs. I agree. I, I think that last night's game or two nights ago i guess it was i forget like my my brain is so warped by living in australia <laughs> in terms of like what, what day, day is what game? 
<laughs> yeah. Like it's and plus I've written uh, no joke so far. I'm looking at my word document for the draft guide. I've written 99,534 words for the draft Sam, guide I'm gonna, so I'm far. Gonna say it. I'm going to say it. It's too many words, Sam. <laughs> I've for what it's worth, last year's was like 102,000. So who who what poor soul has to edit this? Is this Sergio? Uh Sergio plays a role. Uh the leads are Greg Rosenstein and Tyler Batiste. Uh Heavens to Betsy. Yeah, Heavens to send, Betsy. Send, send those boys like a DoorDash gift card or something, because they're gonna be battened down for days. Oh, uh, they they will be getting like <laughs> just absolutely handwritten like apologies from me. <laughs> Uh, n- not even thank yous, just apologies. Just the straight apologies. So, like, between all of the film I'm watching on College Guys to finalize those, like, draft profiles, and then the NBA, and then watching the NBA in the morning, by the way, because times are all fucked up here, uh, I don't know what day it is most of the time. <laughs> it was last night, I can tell you that. Um, but, yes, like, I look, like... I can't imagine what your uh, what your summers are like. That is not for me. Um, I'm all set. It's probably what my falls used to be like at CBS when I would do college football, golf, and MMA all on the same like Saturday, Sunday. See, and run three live bogs and want to die. Well, and like like I've said on the podcast a couple times now, and I sent you a video. Uh, I move into my like new house on. Uh, Monday, which is in probably we settle it in 24 hours about and we have all the movers coming on Tuesday. So in the midst of all of this, uh, I am looking at a sea of boxes and garbage bags uh, to move with. It's a good look. And it's it's a it's a it's a choice on my part. These things keep happening where like, oh, yeah, we found a house that we love. Let's buy it. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, we have to close on it by June 30th because uh, it's the end of the financial year in Australia. So the guy who built it wants to uh, end up, you know, closing the financial year for tax reasons with the house being sold. Right. Sick. So that's how's in the, the middle. Ho- of how's plans. the housing market in Australia? Is it's, it as disastrous as here? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, Hell yeah. That's right. Like, yeah, not not see, great. You should see the price of houses in Flagstaff. It's, really, it's really fun, dude. People love Flags because there's such a big rental market here. I bet you get a ton of land though, too, right? No, no, no. Not if you go if you go further out. But no, man. Like, we'll we're, we'll be looking for at like two bed two bath houses. Like we we we've been trying to find something that's not and it's like. Four hundred fifty, five hundred thousand, and I'm like, yeah. what? what the fuck am I supposed to do with that? Yeah, that's uh, you think that's this a... blog money's long like that? What the fuck, man? <laughs> oh man, I have, you guys. A, I have I have a I have a desk and a punching bag in my bedroom because I live in a one bed and I have to just so I have a I have a gym, a bedroom, and an office all in one fucking. 50 square foot space or something 100 square foot space that's right yeah we uh, we did not have uh when i lived in la um we lived like in the oh, middle I'm of hollywood sure. basically oh, and sure. yeah i mean we did not have we we had like a one bedroom it was uh it was a yeah, choice it was, it was yeah it was yeah, tough but, like that hey saving a little money though <laughs> weddings don't pay for themselves brother 
oh the wedding to yeah you've uh you've got a time coming up here as well but uh it's the 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 amount of the amount of boxes the sea of boxes i'm staring into as we talk about this i mean it's uh it's it's fun let me tell you basketball is happening basketball stuff is happening let's talk a little bit do we have anything else we want to say about the hawks like i i do think i want to see how they bounce back yeah they've been the most resilient team in the east so far them and the bucks honestly it's the reason they're they're both there um i'm interested to see what the adjustments are um look like and part of this comes down to the fact that like if if bogey can't get his knee right they might just be cooked like they won by seven and it was a little closer than game one and trey had maybe the best game of his career yeah yeah it's just the load on trey right now is so much and like this isn't the fucking sixers offense you know like they're not like i think the bucks figured some things out as far as how to attack and get downhill in game two and like look and the other thing is if if they're gonna get good good drew games constantly good luck he's been great because he was awful in the brooklyn series Awful. Yeah, and I can't quite figure out what happened there still. Like, why I, was I Drew so bad know, in that series? I don't know if he was just... I, I feel like he felt lost for a bit in how to fit in in the playoff offense. And I think it took him... Because, like, the, the Miami series, I don't think they ever got tested in the way that made them figure it out. And then Brooklyn kept switching and switching and switching, and it was just something they hadn't seen. And he looked like, of everybody, he looked like the one who was trying to defer the most. And I think somebody had to pull him aside and say, look, dude, like we need you to go. You've got to attack. We've had Eric Bledsoe. We don't <laughs> need Eric Bledsoe, right? Like We don't need you to defer to Giannis and defer to Chris. If you've got a matchup, take it. And I think that's what we've seen through two games in this Hawks series and it helps that I think he's seeing defenders that he believes he can take. He's not seeing he's seeing a, a banged up Bogdanovich. Yep. Who he knows he can get to the rim on. Yep. He's seeing Kevin Herter, who Kevin Herter is a nice player, but and is another Kevin, guy that he can bully. Kevin, by the way, like underrated defender. He's been really good defensively in these playoffs. He's very solid. He's just not Strong not enough. strong enough to deal with Drew getting a low center of gravity and just no. kind of going through him. Just kind of yeah. going through him, and then, and that's who he's. And then, like, what well, he might see like a, a Solomon Hill, and he's just gonna blow by. Like, there's well, and, and like there are times where he's seeing Trey, right? And it, and the thing that he has done really well in the series, anytime he gets Trey, he's like ball, ball, yep. give it to me. Yep. And it's where the Bucks used. To, it, what we used to kill the Bucks for not hunting matchups. And now it's just like they see it and they go. And that's the biggest thing that, that, that I see. Like they did it in the Miami series. Anytime anybody got Duncan Robinson, it was like dinner time. Ring the yep. bell. Yep. Give me the ball. Whether it was Chris, Giannis, Drew, whoever got Duncan, it was like ball me. Or Kendrick, and, too. It was both. Or Bo- Kendrick Gunn. Yeah, they just yeah. they just torched those. And if Tyler Hero was ever on the floor, they went at him, too. So. Yep. They've done a much better job. With, and the thing with, with Brooklyn was Brooklyn doesn't have, like, the super – like, I, I think this is where they got kind of bogged down. Is like, against Miami, they could just ISO cook everybody. Brooklyn is easy to break down as a team 
but they have decent ISO defenders. Yep. Yeah, like, like Drew, Joe Harris. Joe Harris is even fine in isolation. Right, Joe Harris. Like, but what you want to do is like once you get the Nets in rotation, like they're fucking cooked. Right. And so what they did is they just kept switching and switching and switching and bathing Giannis and everybody into like, I guess I'll attack this, but I think Drew knew he didn't have a great like matchup ever in that series, and so he kept deferring. And they had to be like, "Look, man, you're not a three point shooter." Like, get your rhythm shots and then start taking threes. He was taking a ton of step backs in that Brooklyn series. So, yeah. And that's definitely not his shot. Like, he is not a consistently awesome off-the-bound that shooter. St- that sidestep in Game 7 was outrageous. After he missed everything and he yeah. hit that sidestep three with, like, a minute and a half to go, I was like, okay, I see you. But, yes, that's not a shot he should be taking regularly. And he was taking a lot. Like, that's not first, basically, that's not a first-quarter shot for Drew. And he was doing that. So... Um, yeah, I mean, that's it. I, I'm interested to see how the well, Bucks I, keep up that energy defensively. I guess, I guess my, my main question here is, is, okay. is there another coach? Is, is Mike Budenholzer basically the equivalent of the no, 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 yes shot that you see some guys take where like every time he's making a decision, it seems disastrous every single time. And then occasionally he'll just come up with some really good ones and it's like yes well, he did think, it he, he's Giannis shooting a three-pointer yeah. on the sidelines well, coaching the team i think for me it's just like he's uh, part of it is that brooklyn series it was like i i, th- I think he tried everything he could on kd and it's just not a good option no there's except not a good for, option except for, on like, Kevin. except for like I, I mean like i guess people wanted him to just like stick Giannis out there which like I, I don't know if that would have gone much better, but maybe like whatever. Yeah, but, like like I'll, I'll say this: try, like he did show like eight different looks to KD, and KD was like just shooting over everyone. <laughs> it was so it was just like it was just like you just put different like styles of chair in front of KD. That's all Bud was doing. He's like he's yeah. like fuck wheelie chair recliner. Uh, the high high chair. I don't fucking know the the e like, Gian like, Leon chair. It, but yeah, just bucket bucket bucket. It was great. Eventually, oh. though, KD got tired of seeing those chairs, worn down by the chairs. <laughs> it took it took seven, six, six it took games. Seven games. Well, no, it literally God took seven it because of overtime. <laughs> it took seven oh plus games, but by God, he got it done. Oh my God, unbelievable! Yeah. I'm um, also going to see if if yeah. Nate's willing to. Also, on the other side, like you know how we used to hammer Bud for the rotations and playing too many bench guys. Oh yeah, Nate's, Mc, Nate's. Mc, Mc, McMillan. Hey, hey, bud, it's it's time ta- it's time to tighten that thing up a touch. Okongu is giving you good minutes. I'm fine with him. The Solomon Hill minutes need to be a little tighter. I think. <laughs> just need All to right? be a little tighter. You just you just got if it's not going well, like we we gotta pull the plug a little faster. I know you're short there. Like it sucks not having DeAndre Hunter. That's a big difference. But and, and like, are they gonna ever try to dust off Dunst- Cam Reddish? Like, it, I think that's the can, interesting well, here's one. The other thing. Here's the other thing: Nate has never coached Cam. I know, right? Like, that's a really he tricky thing. Hurt. I he think. got hurt before Nate was the head coach. Yeah, he has not played. Like, he doesn't know where he fits. He doesn't like. Obviously, he was on the bench, but like, I don't think he was. You know, when you're the assistant, you're thinking about whatever your assignments are, and, and not necessarily full rotation. So, like. Man, that'd be hard. And also, like, Cam, I don't think this is the series for Cam. 
Well, I actually do think it would be really helpful to have him because the one thing Cam has actually weirdly proven he's, in the NBA is that he's he can defend pretty useful defensively and having another big body who's laterally athletic yeah. that they can put on Chris Middleton, I think would be valuable in this series. I think there's maybe, but also like how well is he moving? Right. Right. I, we, uh, we, I haven't seen, pre- and like there were times in the, in the little bit that I saw of his minutes last night, I did not watch the fourth quarter, uh, <laughs> but a little like, fuck that. Like the little bit I saw was like, he was, it's, it looks like he's still trying to process things on the court. And that's always a death knell as a defender yeah. is when you don't feel it and you're not reacting. So, like, we'll get to some sun stuff. But that used to be my issue with DeAndre Ayton is when you watch DeAndre Ayton play pick and roll coverage in his, like, rookie year, you could see the wheels turning. Yeah. And you could see him having to think through everything and process it before he moved. Yep. And, like, that, that is a split second you don't get in the NBA. No, um, it really is. That's right. And so I worry about Cam in that regard. It's hard. Like, he, you throw that guy out in a high, like, leverage situation in the playoffs, and, like, the Bucks are going to make him figure it out. They're going to go at him. And, and I just don't know if he's going to be processing things fast enough because these guys have built such a groove Yep. that, like, man, that's, that's tough to throw a guy who hasn't played. And it's not his fault, to be clear. Like, I'm with you. Like, if Cam had been playing all this time – he would definitely be a guy getting minutes right now. I just yeah. don't know if you can throw him out there in this moment, but they might have to try because they might just need to to try something new uh, in Game 3 if it starts anything similar to Game 2. Or they just might need to dump the Solomon Hill minutes. Like, the, let's just be real yeah, about it, I mean, right? It's, like, it's, the, thing, the thing about the solo minutes is, like, it, you, if you throw him out there, you know two minutes in how it's going to go, right? right? You right. see how he's moving, like... If you want to use Solomon Hill for a couple fouls on Giannis, okay. But he better yeah. only be out there during the bonus to hit Giannis. And by the way, like I don't feel great he can't about be out there at the beginning. No. I don't feel great about Cam Reddish on Giannis either. He's no, just no, not no, no, no. This would be a Middleton. This would be a Middleton yeah. assignment. Yeah, so uh, it's like a, it's a it's a totally different assignment in terms of what they'd mm-hmm. be doing. Um let let's take a quick commercial break and we'll be back and we'll talk a little bit about the dear sweet Phoenix Suns. God, our Suns. Okay, and we're back. Let's uh, let's talk about the Suns. So, did you see this DeAndre Ayton like leap coming? Because it has happened in the playoffs. He's been unbelievable in the playoffs. Spectacular. Um, so I wrote about it for uh, for Dime on Uprocks. You can search it out there. Um, I wrote about it. I, I didn't see it coming like this. But what I will say is, and this goes to kind of what I was saying earlier about when he was when he was a rookie when he first came in. I remember watching like his first three summer league games and like being like close to court level. And you can really see how the guys play defense and like, he's just thinking through everything and you see him and he was lost in the sauce. And like, you know, the sons don't know what the fuck they're doing at that point. Cause that was Igor's first year only year. And I remember going to training camp cause they, they always come up with flagstaff for training camp. God bless. Yeah. Uh, which means I don't have to commute. It's great. Um, for one week a year, Flagstaff's the place to be for basketball for me. Um, <laughs> so, and it's great because like nobody comes up. It's like Gina and Dwayne and like 
a couple other people and it's like six people there for sun's camp and it's fantastic like one tv camera it's fan i love it um i'm sure that won't be the case moving forward but in 18 that was the case 19 too um but so I, I remember talking to I did a, I did a whole thing on his defense and I, you know talking to Igor uh, and talked to DeAndre a little bit. He was still rookie DeAndre. You remember talking to DeAndre? He's a he's an interesting character. Uh, I enjoy the, him. DeAndre's great. He's, he, I, I love him, uh, but he he's very short with his answers about like basketball stuff. Like he's just to the point. Done. So oh like, yeah, I no. No, you got you got to get him talking about like his teammates and like what they do, like oh, how yeah. much fun they have and like all that stuff. Because it's the same in yeah, Arizona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I think I've only talked to him once since he's been in the NBA, like in a scrum. But like oh, in, in Arizona, you you'd catch him and in, you'd catch him in like the right mood. It'd be hysterical. Like he'd be oh, hilarious. Yeah. So a fun story about that when I was uh, it was his first day at camp and we were up there and I guess in Arizona they didn't do scrums or call them scrums or whatever like he went I, maybe they went to a press room maybe they just did locker room yeah it didn't happen until the Pac-12 tournament and then yeah. I felt like nobody really understood how good his personality was until then right. and like that first game because I was there for the first game that they played in the Pac-12 tournament and like people crowded around him because it's like oh my god like no one's talked to this guy all year really and he just had people like fucking dying in laughing stitches, I'm sure yeah so uh but I guess they didn't call it a scrum. I guess they just said go meet with the media or whatever. Because uh, Julie, who is one of the best PR people in, in the in the business uh, with the Suns, comes up. And I was talking to her because I was setting up something to get uh, Tyson Chandler one-on-one because that was his year with the team. And, like, I thought he would be a great person to talk to about what he's seen from DeAndre and that sort of stuff. And he was. He was fantastic. Um, it was, like, 45 minutes after practice because he's an old man and needed 8,000 ice and heat things. But eventually we got i just like shot at the gym until he came but so i'm walking with julie and, and she goes and grabs deandre and she goes uh deandre it's time to go do the scrum he goes the what she goes the, the scrum he goes what's that she's like you know you go talk to all the media over here he goes oh and he turns to josh jackson and he goes josh i'm about to go do the scrum <laughs> and like, it was like, and like Josh was like, "What the fuck, man!" Like, all right, like good for you. And he comes over and he walks up, and uh, we're like, "Hey, DeAndre, you know how are you doing?" And he's like, "I'm good." And then I, I just, you know, like I just fire off the first question, and he turns to me, and goes, "How are you doing?" And I was like, <laughs> "I'm good, man. You know, like just hanging out. You know, like I, I appreciate, I appreciate your." you know the thoughtfulness just just like, a re- like a, it seems like a really nice guy like he's once- just a ge- like he's just genuinely a nice dude and yeah. like so you know like I, I remember doing that and and that was the, and the thing tyson said is like once he figures it out mentally he has every physical tool like you can't ask for anything more um like the fluidity with which he moves on offense was right. always the thing that you pointed to and you said like he should be able to do this defensively he just doesn't right now because he doesn't know what he's doing and that first year with the Suns, nobody knew what they were doing like that <laughs> roster like i mean do you remember that that team that 2018-19 Suns team was a fucking disaster yeah like they that, didn't have a they didn't have a point guard that was still uh, like marquis chris around marquis chris was a uh, dragon bender was still yep. on the team getting minutes um josh jackson was there like they they didn't have any sort of anything structurally oh god was that the was that the ariza signing year yeah 
So oh, Trevor God. Was at, Trevor was at camp, and he was looking looking like he was really enjoying life. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was a lot of fun. That, that was the year they traded. Yeah, they traded him for Ubre. Uh, right. In the uh, in the the we 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 told you the wrong Brooks trade with Memphis. Oh my god! Which is still one of my favorite things I've ever I've ever heard. Oh, a hundred percent is wrong Brooks. Sorry, we have to cancel this trade. It's like that was the weirdest like trade collapse that I could remember until Bogdanovich to Milwaukee. Oh no, that the the wrong Brooks is still the worst one. I think that's just like insane to me how that happened. I, well, but the Bogdan one was like, hey, this sign and trade is done, and Bogdan's like, the what? <laughs> the first part of this is very important, guys. The sign part, I do not know what you're talking about. <laughs> Which, like, imagine this fucking Bucks team with Bogdan instead of Pat Connaughton. Oh my god! God. Um, It'd already be in the finals. Anyway, um, so back to DeAndre. He he needed structure, and that's what Monty brought to this team. Is like everybody on that team has a defined role outside of Booker and Chris Paul, right? Like when you watch them play, it's what's helped Macau the most. It's what's helped DeAndre the most. Is like they know what they're supposed to do. Just do your job. And that's the easiest thing. That's the best way to help young players, right? Do your job. When guys don't know what their job is and they're trying to do a billion different things, and that was always how the Suns operated. No <laughs> one knew what the fuck they were supposed to do. Every fourth overall pick came into the Suns and was like, what do I do? And they're like, save us? Go hoop. Go hoop? Just go hoop. Yeah. And the only person who could do it is, is Devin Booker because Devin Booker is just a fucking hooper. Right. Right? But also, Devin has been helped by the structure on defense. You know, and he's allowed to do what he does on offense. But Chris Paul, Chris Paul brings a natural structure to the offense. Like if you play with Chris Paul, he's going to tell you what the fuck to do. Right. Even if that is Devin, go do your thing. But sometimes it is Devin, give me the damn ball. And like, you have to respect when Chris Paul says that. And he does. And he gives Chris the ball and they take turns annihilating you from 15 feet. And I love watching it. Um, but Aiton, like the thing with that his leap has been is he's in his role, he's embraced his role, which his first year he didn't really do a lot. But I think honestly the 25 game suspension helped him a bit because he had to sit there next to Monty and get told what he would be doing. He had to watch every day. Here's what you're doing. Here's what you'll be doing. Here's what you'll be doing. What Aaron Baines is doing right now, you do that plus this. Like it just it was a structure that he needed, I think, being off the floor and just watching is not something, like, anybody's ever going to do purposefully, is be like, hey, former number one pick, sit for 25 games. But I do think it helped him to just see what you're doing, see what it looks like on the floor. And then he stepped in, and he was immediately solid. And now the confidence is there. And when you watch him move on defense, it is night and day from three years ago. It really is. Outrageous. He moves like he does on offense. And it's because when he's on offense, he is one of the most naturally gifted post movers that I can remember seeing in the last decade. Do you, would that be a fair assessment to you? I mean, are you talking like specifically he, on like post ups or are you talking about the way he like, like seals guys? Like, I think he seals guys really well. I think he moves way, his feet really he, well on ball screens. Like, right. Like he, the way he, I guess the way he moves as a big man, I think yeah. is just so fluid and he know and like, 
especially knowing how to use his size. And this is the thing I've always said about DeAndre is like he's seven feet tall or seven one, and he stands every fucking bit of it. That boy has the best posture I've ever seen. Yep. Standing it's, next to him and standing next to like a no, like if you stand next to KD, KD's seven feet, but he kind of hunches a little bit, and you're like, okay, like eh, he's tall. You stand next to DeAndre, and you're like, this is a mountain of a man. Yeah. No, what it's re- it's it's really hard to overstate how big DeAndre Ayton is until you stand next. Giant, yeah. giant. I did the interview with him at Foot Locker in Chicago during All Star, and there's a picture of me, and I'm not exactly a small human being. Six two, at the time I was probably like one ninety, and like the dude's just like a a full foot taller than me, and he stands with such impeccable posture like i'm like trying to like straighten my back out next to him because i'm like oh this is how you're supposed to stand okay Uh, but like he uses that length so well and he's just his fluidity on offense is now the same as it is on defense and that's such a big jump yeah and like he does the roy hibbert verticality thing he's like i'm just tall go around me good luck the thing that I feel most proud about getting right in pre-draft process is that DeAndre Ayton is going to be a good defender. Like, mm-hmm. do you remember that pre-draft? Like, everyone just, like, shitting on DeAndre's defense after he made all well, that's, Pac-12 that's defense? I, like, well, that, yeah, well, that's what, that's why I wanted to, to write that piece, is I was like, I don't know exactly what to believe. Because, like, when you watch him, you go, okay, like, I see the tools. Yeah. But you also watch him and you go, can he figure it out? Mentally, because it was like he had the. It's like because it was him, and then the next big in that draft was was Jaron Jackson Jr. Yep. And you watched how naturally Jaron moves on that end of the floor. Yep. And you were like, "Can DeAndre ever do that?" And sometimes it's hard for guys. Like I remember when Jaleel Okafor came out, I had the same like issues watching. I'd watch him in the post, and I'd be like, "How is your footwork this fucking good on offense?" And then you look like you have concrete shoes on defense. It's and just kind of well. It's, figured it out. Well, it's it's different skills too. Like sure. in in the post, having like good hip flexibility just matters a little bit less, right? Like sure. when you're out in space, like you need to be able to be flexible through your hips, drop your hips, yeah. slide, your cut hips. off, flip your hips, 100%. like like th- that's the stuff that like these bigger framed dudes mm. struggle with right like mm-hmm. like there's even a guy in this ho- upcoming draft named david johnson at louisville right mm. david johnson's a really good college defender like really really good and i think he has a chance to be a great nba defender he's six foot five but he just has like very thick he's like a very thick lower half right sure. And I just worry, like, how natural is it going to be flipping his hips against yeah, the he, quickest? He unlock that. Yeah, against the quickest guards in the NBA. If he and unlocks only that, there's so many guys that can do that. Like, yeah, PJ Tucker. PJ Tucker's, I think, the best example of a guy who can do that at that frame, right? Right. Yeah. No, it, it's it's really really hard. And it's really and it's really rare. Like that's yeah. why PJ Tucker is who he is, and there. That's why everybody that gets compared to PJ Tucker is not PJ Tucker, right? Right. Like you go, hey, he looks like him. And right. he tries hard, and it's like he doesn't have the same biomechanics. He doesn't have the same flexibility. And, and, you, and actually, there, there's another guy. Draymond Green is another guy. Yes, yeah. Where, yes. like, Dre lost. Dre is like a hefty dude, like yes. naturally, and lost the weight. Continued to like stay in shape throughout the course of his career so far, which is yes. um, something that people had questions about with Dre pre-draft, and very sure. clearly he's like proven them wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, he, he's he's very clearly shown that he has that like hip flexibility as long as he stays yes. in shape to be able to slide and cut dudes off. But it's 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 interesting and it's hard to try to. Yes. I think that it's like that that thing where people conflate like explosiveness with athleticism. There's a lot more to being a good mm-hmm. athlete, like in terms of functional athleticism, um, being to jump. playing on an NBA court. Like Luka Doncic is so functional in the way that his body and frame moves mechanically mm-hmm. that he just knows how to carve out space right so yeah 100 percent. and yeah then, no i mean yeah deandre deandre has none of those issues deandre is built no he's so fluid and like, yeah, he just I mean, moves so well and I, i'm just and i'm happy for him because he heard all that he hated talking like i did so i did that day one because i knew i i've been like the one thing you learn doing this long enough is if you're gonna do the obvious story do it immediately when guys haven't talked about it because guess what? By day four, DeAndre Ayton was not talking about defense. He shut down every question about it. He was like, I'm just doing what I can. Yep. All he would say. And like day one, he'll talk about it. Day four, yep. he's been asked about it four straight days. The same questions. He shut it down. It's like when Lou Williams came back to Atlanta, I was the first person to talk to him uh, at media day because he like snuck out to his table because, of course, Lou would sneak to his table. Um, <laughs> and I just happened to be over there talking to somebody else, and the whole scrum was with Horford or Teague or somebody who I didn't need to talk to because it was their 10th fucking year or something. And so Lou's over there and I got to, and he was great. Talked about being back in Atlanta, loving being home. Went over to the scrum, did it again. Every fucking day at camp, somebody new from a TV station or a radio station would come in and need to get the sound bite. And he eventually was like shutting down. Wouldn't talk to anybody. I asked for him after practice week two as he was walking off the floor because uh, we used to do scrums like just off to the side or just pull guys off um, to, to talk to him. And so Garen goes and runs over and, and you know, grabs Luke. He goes, hey, like, Robbie wants to talk to you. And Luke, Luke keep, just keeps walking. He goes, no comment, no comment, no comment. It's great to be home. <laughs> and just, like, tries to keep walking. And Garen's like, come on. And he walks over to me. And I made – I cut a deal with Lou that day. I was like, if I ever ask you about being back in Atlanta for the rest of your time here, you never have to talk to me again. And he was like, bet. So we just talked hoop. <laughs> we talked hoop and we talked Zaxby's chicken sandwiches because that's a passion of Lou Williams. Oh, my he's God. A connoisse- he's a connoisseur of, of all things fried, fried chicken. chicken. yeah, And wings and sauces. And he's got, he's got takes, man. He loves his Zaxby's. See, these, these are the important things that we get when we have Robbie Calland on the podcast. And they're very important, and I love them, so too. There's a little, there's a little, there's a little inside the Lemon Pepper Lou. This, this, is not, this is not a shtick. This is not something new. He's been, he's been about that life. Wings and things at Zaxby's. You know how it is. But so, anyway, yeah. So offensively, like we knew what DeAndre could do, right? And yeah. he's given structure, and he's bought into the idea of, I'm the third guy. But I can dominate as the third guy and that's such a hard thing for some young guys to do right like he's a number one overall pick and he's the third option but he has said i'm gonna be the best damn third option in the nba and he might be he probably is if if we're being real about it like he probably is especially of these final four teams i think you you have very strong it's like him and him and holiday him and and Drew. Reggie jackson yeah you know what drew probably is better than deandre right now but it's very close yeah, but like, yeah, I mean, like that's that's it. Like of the teams, like obviously, if Brooklyn's healthy, that's a different conversation. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, like I, that's that's been the most impressive thing to me is I think it's a mental thing with with him more than anything on both ends. It was 
Can he learn to process defensively? I think that was giving him a structure and telling him what he's looking for. And then he can just move naturally. And then offensively, it was embrace what your role is. And that comes down to to him having a ton of respect for Mommy. That's all it is. Not a lot of coaches can get a guy to do that, but he he has embraced Monty. He pushed back early. He didn't like Monty initially. He didn't like all of the structure. He didn't like how hard it was initially. But he bought in and he's put in the work. Um, like they, like they've talked about on the broadcast, where like he didn't used to want to come in on the off days. He didn't want to put in that work, and Monty used to get on him about it. And he's bought in now. The, the Monty Williams of this whole thing is just is so impressive to me. Uh, he's done such a phenomenal job, just not only in terms of structure, but do you remember when he was the coach in New Orleans? There was so much consternation about, is he actually like able to run the right things for mm-hmm. Anthony Davis? Uh, can he like actually run the right sets? Can he uh be creative enough offensively uh because yeah, and him and him and chris didn't get along initially either i think i forgot in, that in, in new orleans like that that's like chris didn't really love playing for him so there were like a lot of questions and he is he's got i mean like obviously his personal journey is is well documented but i mean professionally i think he he put in the work and and he was like when you talk to him it, he's got such an incredible perspective because of everything he's been through personally professionally all of that like he's just really like an impressive guy um and he's also become a really impressive coach he really has i think that's that's the thing like we talk about who can make adjustments these sort of things like he's dialed up the right things at the right time he really does yeah he's he's become one of the better adjustment coaches in the nba like he sees something on the court and he can not what he was known for like process it and be like okay let's implement this uh, and, and it, it comes down to and like I, I think you see it the most in phoenix's wing rotation right like the when he when he kind of has been able to like he's maximized cam johnson's minutes in a way i don't think a lot of people thought could be done you know and cam cam is another guy that's just embraced the role he's been given you know everybody knew he could shoot but he's become an awesome cutter yep like he's become yep. really good at just finding those pockets. And I think part of that is if you play with Chris Paul, he's going to tell you when to cut enough in practice that you just kind of learn how to do it. Because <laughs> he's just going to yell at you until you do it right. He really you is, know? isn't he? <laughs> like, I think that's, you know, like they, the Chris Paul leadership thing has become a meme and rightfully so. Like it gets talked about so fucking much and it's painful sometimes. But there are certain tangible things that I think you can point to as like, DeAndre Ayton's patience in pick and roll, I think you can directly tie to Chris Paul. Because who's the most patient pick and roll ball handler in the league? It's Chris Paul. The and defensively will, in pick and roll, too. Yeah, the dude will string you out. He'll just keep kind of pressing. He'll keep a guy on his hip. And then, then he'll force the, force the, uh, the big to keep stre- stepping out until he's just far enough back where you know he can't get back to the lob. And then you throw it up. And you know the weak side help has no chance against a DeAndre Ayton jumping. And what you see from Ayton is he does these little delayed rolls where he'll like stick his guy and instead of just sprinting to the basket, he'll take like a, he'll he'll come wide. He just like swings out wide, takes like three steps to get to the other side of the lane, and then he cuts down. And it's just nobody because 
at first you think, is DeAndre Aiden popping? Like, we're going to give him that. And so the big kind of loses sight of him for a half second, and then he just jumps down the lane, and at that point it's too late. Yep. And those are things, the Cam Johnson cutting, like knowing the timing of that, I guarantee you Chris Paul has given him every curse word in the book in practice <laughs> about, you're supposed to fucking be here now. And like at some point that just becomes habit when you get yelled at for the thousandth time. <laughs> it's like, shit, I, I guess I better be there. I just don't want to get yelled at anymore. Like I'm, I just don't want to hear it from Chris. Mason. He's an angry, <laughs> tiny little man. Oh, man. Oh, Chris Paul. What a legend. Um, yeah, we think the Suns are going to win this series, right? I think so. Because, like, here's the thing. I think you could tell that game three was Chris and De- – I, I think Devin was deferring to Chris early. And so he never got in his rhythm. Chris was – trying to establish himself and was just not able to hit shots that he hits. Then Devin starts pressing and it just like their rhythm got thrown off. One feed Deandre more. He was feasting in the first quarter and then they went away from him. Didn't look for him as much as they need to. Like he's the biggest advantage in the series. Like Zubox was great. Don't get me wrong. But like part of that was like, they just weren't getting the man, the same touches. Um, and like I just I just think they they've got to look for him a little more. And I think part of that was both Book and Paul being off were both trying to get themselves going. And I understand that because they're not going to win if neither of those guys is going. But I think you got to keep DeAndre engaged and involved a little more offensively, more consistently. But yeah, I'm with you. I think Suns in six or seven. Yeah, I, I think six. To be honest, I think I'd, I'd say yeah. six. Um, okay. So. So, for people who have not seen the Fast and Furious movie that just came out, F9, starring Vin Diesel, John mm-hmm. Cena, mm-hmm. Michelle Rodriguez, Michelle Rodriguez, Sung Kong, Tyrese, Ludacris, Ludacris Natalie Emanuel, who else we got? We got... Uh, uh, oh, God, who plays Mia? Uh, Jordana Brewster, of course. Jordana Brewster, yes. We got, uh, you know, y- Young Dom. Young got, Dom, Young, young Cena. Yeah, we got the guy from uh, the guy. NBA fans will know him as uh, the guy you see on all the Animal Kingdom commercials. The guy you see on all the Animal Kingdom commercials. Oh my God, that's right. Yeah, that's just, that's, that's young Cena in the movie. That's, that's right. How, that's the NBA connection to to F nine. Every time you've seen those those fucking promos for Animal, a show you've probably never watched, but you damn sure have seen the. Every NBA fan knows a lot about the Animal Kingdom like upcoming season. And uh, the end of every Bones episode, or Supernatural, you know, or Supernatural if you if you leave it on overnight and cut which, your TV on. Which, by the way, uh, I've seen at least 150 episodes of Supernatural in full. <laughs> of course you have. <laughs> I've not it's seen any show. Animal Kingdom. I've seen like you know maybe 10 episodes of Bones. I've seen a lot of Supernatural in my life. A lot of Supernatural. Because it, it's Big just Supernatural guy here. It's a good. It's a good show to watch. That's really stupid. While you play MLB the Show, for instance. Okay. Like I'd you know that it's a I'd it's a that. it's a good dumb show. Uh, you gotta have those. And we're we're gonna talk some spoilers within this thing. So if you haven't seen F nine yet, like this is the time. Like you gotta you gotta cut it off. Eject. Yeah. Ejecto Cito cuz on the podcast. Ejecto Cito cuz. Ejecto Podcasto cuz. Uh, That's right. Okay. So 
important announcement here from people magazine today oh god you you actually might need to blog this like i I might be like you know telling you something that you have to go and do work with now content Um, i'm off today so i won't but that's okay vin diesel says he would do a fast and furious musical quote i'm dying to do it vin diesel loves to sing (laughs) he truly believes he has some pipes and i aspire to that self-confidence is there a more self-confident person on the planet than vin diesel i don't think so i really don't he is he is the jordan clarkson of hollywood i I mean no disrespect to vin i think he's like an inch taller than i am and that dude legit thinks he could kick that rock's ass i love it like it's what a what a world that we live in uh we'll, we'll get to it we'll get to it we'll get to it i got some i got some thoughts on that whole situation Okay, so Fast 9, let's just start here. What were your overall thoughts? Loved it. Everything I needed. It was a delight. Like, look, like it's it's fucking preposterous. But guess what? <laughs> That's what I'm here for. All it's right? so preposterous. It is. There are at least 12 scenes that Crystal and I legitimately laughed out loud at. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Laura and I that too. I think weren't, that weren't necessarily like comedy things, but were just so absurd in the action department that we just just started cackling in the theater but you know what though like the, justin but that's Lin, what i want yeah like he knows that going like it's it, well it, and i i, I don't think it's a situation it. yeah where like oh you're not supposed to have fun at these movies like it's no it's intentional unintentional comedy kind of yes so i once did an interview and this is one of my favorite things i've ever done and, like, I didn't care that I probably should have given this to movies. I was not turning down this PR op. Uh, I talked to Michelle Rodriguez and her stunt woman about the Fast and Furious stunts. Oh, that's amazing. After, I think, seven. Um, and it was such a fun interview. And, like, it was kind of funny because, like, I asked about some of the absurdity of it. And they're like, well, I mean, like, everything. Like, we do. We try to do everything, you know? And, like, I was like, okay, but, like. Look, I watched the movie, and Vin spears you out of midair into a car. <laughs> okay? Like, I respect the hustle here, but, like, okay. But, like, so, like, they, they take it, they don't want it to be seen as, like, a ridiculous joke. Like, they take what they do seriously, but at the same time, they're also, like, also, like, we just want to go as big as possible. Totally. And I was like, I respect the shit out of that. Like, and so they were great to talk to, and, like, it was fun because uh, it was her, uh, it was her stunt driver specifically so like it was mostly about like driving stunts and all of those are things that they fucking do um and so that was really cool to just talk about and be like how you know basically like i just kept coming up with examples and being like what about this one how did you do this one (laughs) and it was so much it was so much fun um but yeah i mean like and even in this even in this movie they kind of address all of it the whole like roman being like are we invincible Oh yeah, like you have to do it at this point. I think. Like, like I, I think break the, like they break the third wall with it a little bit. I think the wall. thing the thing I liked most about this movie, and I think I liked it maybe ten percent less than you did. I liked it. Like I had a great time at the movies. I thought it was blessed. super fucking fun. I think I liked it maybe ten percent less than you did. But sure. the thing that I liked most about it was it feels like they're very self aware at this point. Very much so. They yeah, know what I the deal that's... is, and they're just going for it. Yeah, well, I mean, like, and I think that, especially, like, the fact that they're, like, for years, years, I think since 
six, I would say. The joke has been like, oh, they're gonna end up in space, and they're and Justin was like, "You're goddamn right, we are." <laughs> and how they did it was awesome. Like they didn't have them in like fucking like spaceships and shit. Can Put I say? In a car. Can I say, they have a Pontiac Fiero. It's fucking incredible. This is Absolutely a spoiler. Incredible. We have given Spoilers. people. We have given people yeah, more than enough time. time. Get the fuck out. Like also, it's in it's, the goddamn previews. Yeah, we've given it's people more than enough time at this point. Okay, all right. Roman and Tej are in a fucking Fiero in space. All right, God bless America. Like, uh, okay. So, in terms of the storyline, it's fun. Uh, the the yes. fact that Dom has a brother that is yes. John Cena. That's 100% the funniest part of it. Is 100% the funniest part. Also, well, I, actually, I don't know if it's the funniest part. There's there's a lot of there's funny a lot things of funny here. parts. But yeah. of that specific Dom, ha- like, everybody's like, Dom has, like, the Dom has a brother thing was like, how is it to the ninth movie? And it was like, no, like, we need to focus on the fact that Dom, Dom's brother looks like John Cena. And I think the funniest part of it was they addressed that in the cheekiest way with Charlize Theron, saying, like, I knew the Toretto family had a lot of, like, different mixed bloodlines and stuff, but I didn't know Nordic was in there. And it was, like, this <laughs> tongue-in-cheek fucking, like, yeah, John Cena doesn't look a fucking thing like Dom Toretto. <laughs> Dom speaks Spanish. John Cena does not speak Spanish. I would love to hear John Cena speak Spanish, though. I want to I be would clear too. about that. I would too. Um, what a what a dream. Uh, like jo- John, Cena, in, like, John Cena. John Cena. West DR Newberry's Ma- West Newberry, Massachusetts <laughs> own John Cena. Right. Like this motherfucker's supposed to be the, like the not just related, but the brother of the man who like spends all his time in Mexico and the Dominican Republic and Cuba. Okay. By, by the way, basically works. Like let's it let's does. be honest. Like it basically works. It does. That's the wildest part. And like I think my favorite part of it is like they knew everything people would try to poke a hole with in. Yeah. They knew it and they address every single thing and totally. they do it in like ten seconds. So and they're like, how well, is Han still alive? And they're like, Bitch, that's I'm what glad I you asked. That's what Bitch, I wanted I'm glad to talk you about. Asked. I, do, I think that that is probably the worst handled part of the movie because you know I don't care. They just kind of hand wave it in like most of the time they've been more intentional about so, the way well, that they make the continuity work, which this thing is like a continuity. This series is continuity, like genius level approach, but also disaster like simultaneously. Sure. Um, sure. The fact that, like, they retconned three to essentially be seven in mm-hmm. the, or six, I think it is, in the yes. actual uh, chronology of this thing was really smart. And, and they did it with a 20 minute short that Vin Diesel shot himself. Right. They did that. And then on top of it, they also did it in a way where the pieces fit together in a really yeah. smart way. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think that the pieces totally fit together here. Well, like, they don't. Like, Han surviving. Did is great but like oh yeah mr nobody like the just the well, like ghost of this, mr nobody existing <laughs> well i'll say this it's as i think that's when they when they introduce like the mr nobody character and that he can get anything done and is all over the place and has right. unlimited resources and all that 
I think that just sort of like opened up the door for this. And they saw like the window, and everybody was like, "Why'd you kill Han?" And they're like, "Okay, fine." <laughs> yeah, because that but, was that was what happened. Is like people complained so much that Han had been killed off that they were like, "Fine, we'll figure it out." And that's why it wasn't the same as the Letty thing or uh, three being actually seven and all of that is because you're kind of like. It was kind of just addressing like fans being like, we want Han back. And it was like, all right, we'll make it happen. Fuck it. We brought three people back from the dead already. Why not another? But we, we definitely think Gal Gadot is alive, right? No. Is it just, so. is it only because Gal Gadot is too big of a star? Yes. <laughs> whereas whereas Sung Kong is like very good friends with Justin Lin and like will come back uh, and Gal Gadot yeah, is like, just not Gal, at this point. Gal is she's Wonder Woman she's got other shit to do and like I just yeah I think they I think they moved on there also also part of it is like I don't think people were nearly as attached to the character of Giselle yeah in the same way because that she never got the same development. One because she's introduced in the worst of the movies. Ooh, disagree. Four. We're gonna we're gonna have a four? ranking at the end of this. But yeah, you don't think four's the worst? I don't. I think four's important. It's the only way we get to the best part of the series. Like, yeah, had that four is like the tie-in, but like four's like four was when they were in. Lim- like, we'll get to it. But four's yeah, when we'll they were in kind of like limbo between like we're a car movie. And we're also just a crazy action franchise. Like, they haven't right. figured it out yet. Anyway, right. back to F9. So Han's back. Han is back. It's a, it's a delight. And I, I, I'm going to say this. I, I'm going to bet you that this ser- when the series ends, whenever that is, and God forbid the day that that series ends, because we love it dearly, um, they're going to have Gal Gadot come out for like 10 minutes in that movie and just like end up with possibly long term. It's possible. That's possible. Like, I think that's going to happen. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out, but I will say like, I don't foresee her until maybe then. I don't think right. we see her back until maybe a final movie. I'm with you, but that's that. The F9, other, the other thing please. with this movie that please. I think it does really miss. Okay. It miss. And I felt this way about eight too. It drastically misses this every man that is Brian, mm-hmm. who is essentially like I don't even know that he's like the like window in from like for the audience, but he kind of is because he's mm-hmm. not like this you know superhuman super, super jack dude or not like the joke guys like Tyrese and Ludacris. Sure. Like he is just the like incredibly good looking but also like normal human who's just like the police officer right i i, I feel you but, like, it, I but they, they shoehorn choice but they shoot well it's an intentional choice because vin like runs the franchise but like they shoehorn dom into that role and dom is a lot better being just like slightly off center as like the mythic figure within the right. franchise as opposed to being like the window into the audience like he is in this movie. i would i would say in this one honestly i think my argument would be that letty's closer to that but as it, far it as can't the, nor- the normalish human in this, but it and can't like be presenting... because because there's so much going on with Dom's background in this movie. Like the whole yeah. thing is like explaining yeah. Dom's like past. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely his perspective movie because yeah, 
like it's his family it's his brother it's his past that we keep flashing back to like i I think that that part of it works just a little bit worse in the construct of the series in the dynamic of the group right and i also again like it's because dom won't let them add somebody else who would possibly be taking Brian's spot. Right. Um, like Vince just not gonna let that happen. And right. I understand it. And like I do like the ways that they keep I wasn't like again, like all the things that were gonna be questions they kind of address like why is Mia there and Brian's not? Well it's Mia's brother. Right. And Brian's right. taking care of all the kids. Like okay. Yeah, I think that's done well. Is I it think flipping? that's done really well. It plays. You yeah know, it plays. It's like it plays like we know the thing is we know why. You know, it's not like there's some contractual dispute that's leading to this. Like, we know fucking why this right. is happening, and we respect that. And so, I think they, I, like, again, like, I think they handled all, like, the ridiculous questions you're going to have about this stuff, and they handled it pretty well. Also, it was fun to see the guys from 3 back. It was fun to see the Tokyo totally. guys. Back. Totally. I lo- and I loved how they did it. I loved, By the way. Like, I love seeing Chubby Bow Wow. Yeah, well, oh bow wow, good for him. I was, good for, I, I was, I didn't because like I didn't remember. I I kind of like purposely didn't watch every trailer, but like I kind of like I didn't remember seeing him. So I was like, oh, look at him. And I'll be honest, I totally, I totally forgot Earl. I yeah. Initially, I thought that Justin Lin because have you ever seen Better Luck Tomorrow, the movie that Han gets introduced in? I haven't. So amazing movie, like fucking incredible movie. Um. Honestly, one of my, like, I don't know, like, I see a lot of movies. It's probably like somewhere in my top, like, 50, you know, or so movies. Top okay. 100 movies I've seen since 2000. Um, the guy, so Jason Tobin is Earl in that movie, and he is, like, in, he's, like, the second lead in Better Luck Tomorrow. His name is Virgil Hugh. And... I thought it was just Virgil that was there and like Virgil did not well I won't like spoil um yeah yeah I won't spoil uh Better Luck Tomorrow but like uh, I was like sitting there I was like wait did they just bring in another Better Luck Tomorrow character and then I was like oh no wait like he was actually in Fast 9 um but I love that like I thought it was super fun like making uh making Sean like a uh engineer of like rockets essentially yeah. But like he's like just like the mechanic guy, and then you have you know Earl doing the actual rocket scientist things. Yeah, it was great. And it was then, super fun. And then also like yeah, so like and like also like that they were still. It's basically it was the same vibe as when they used to be sitting outside back at Han's shop, just like tooling up cars and having totally him wreck a bunch. Was like totally. it was the exact same vibe, and I love that. Like it was like just I went like for all the wild things that they do that make this series like should like that make it so the series just should not work as a <laughs> piece of continuity. The little things are what keep it together. It really like, is the little notes like that. So it's like that. It's like Dom still holds the fucking Corona the same way. Like it's little notes like that that they hit, and they're so good at hitting that you are willing to ignore that Tej used to run jet ski races and now he's the best hacker in the world <laughs> and also can now fight. It also can fight. Yeah. Like when did that and happen? Also now we have can no fight. idea. Uh, I think actually seven, I think seven was when that happened. Cause remember they showed him, that was the first fight when they were in Abu Dhabi. Um, and like, he was like hacking in, in the computer room 
and like that guard came and like attacked him and Ramsey or whatever and he like fought the guy off that was the first time we saw Ludacris in the fight so that's when he learned sometime between 6 and 7 okay so what was your favorite action set piece within this movie because there are a lot ooh there are so many um I thought the most fun was Helen Mirren's driving scene. I'm so glad you said that because I agree. That actually was also. I thought I was going like off board with that, but I totally agree with you. I thought it was so fun. That was the most fun. Because here's the thing is Helen Mirren has been asking for this for like five years. Like Brian Grubb has written this a million times because he loves it. It's like. She wanted to be in the franchise. She wanted to drive in the franchise. And so they got her in the franchise in eight. And then they were just like, fuck it. Here's your driving scene. And it was so good. Like having her and Dom kind of having the interplay. And like, it also like tied like, it was what? Five minute scene tops. And it tied like three things together. Like that's the thing that I think they do as well as any action franchise outside of Mission Impossible is just being like, we're not going to show you 30 minutes of filler. We're going to let three minutes of dialogue tell the story and progress it while we're doing action. Yeah, they they do the information dump better than anyone. Because we know what you're here for. Yeah. You know, I think them and and Mission Impossible does it phenomenally. Um, And I think it also comes, and I think honestly the strength of both is having two stars who have complete ownership of the franchise. And they know what story they're trying to tell. Tom Cruise is the one telling the story in Mission Impossible, and he knows what people want, and that's Tom Cruise doing Tom Cruise shit. Yep. All right? How do we get to more Tom Cruise doing Tom Cruise shit? Let me just tell you, or let Benji tell you, or let Ving Rhames tell you between Arby's commercials. (laughs) Dom does the same thing. Yeah. And they introduce these little characters that Mr. Nobody is like, all Mr. Nobody was there to do was to explain things in three minutes and get the fuck out. Yep. Progress the plot. Beautifully. That's all he was there for. Every, like, every person from a government agency, that's all they've been there to do. Um, Except for The Rock. Except for The Rock, because The Rock is there to be The Rock. And goddammit, he does that better than anybody else. And I do think that this movie misses that aspect. In, in general, every He's movie gonna be, misses every the dynamic. Movie without the rock. <laughs> every movie without the rock misses. Like, the like give me Minari except with the rock. Like that's that's what I need. Give me uh, give me uh, you know Nomadland where the rock is playing Francis McDormand's character. <laughs> My favorite thing, if you go back and watch Fast Five, the first half of Fast Five, the rock is attempting an accent. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's trying to do... Go get this for me. And then by the end of the movie, (laughs) he's just a fucking rock. And, like, he just real. He's like, why am I doing this? And I think that's why Vin doesn't like him. Is like, Vin's thing is, like, he doesn't try hard enough acting. And it's like, Vin, we don't want the rock to... We don't want the rock to act. We want to see the rock. Okay? You know what I popped for the most? Is when the rock did the rock bottom on Jason Statham through a fucking table. I was like, there it is. I did the fucking once upon a time in Hollywood thing in the theater. The rock bottom. He did it. It's great. Well, the, the, that's what I'm here for. Like one of the best scenes in all of these movies is the rock and Vin Diesel fighting in fast five. Yes. Like that scene's incredible. 
So good. Just like beating each other with pipes. Yeah. And then eventually Vin Diesel decides not to hit him with the wrench, which is a callback to this movie because we We basically see it. You know what? I will say this. The restraint to bring out Dom's brother this late (laughs) is honestly incredible. Oh, my God. So here's the real thing that I'm wondering. Can you shoehorn in John Cena as the straight man within these movies and then move Vin Diesel slightly off center? I don't think think it'll happen because I think that Vin will just continue to be the center of it. And he he should be the center of the franchise, but I wonder if you can make it like a two-man situation with John Cena. I don't know, though. Obviously, they've set this up where next movie, Cena's in the crew. Yeah. Spoiler alert. John Cena's not the bad guy. Yeah. John Cena. Well, he's the bad guy until he realizes it's all about the family. Right. Right? Right. Right? It's all about the family. Shouts to to Ike Barinholtz and Blockers. It's all about the family. (laughs) That movie's underrated great. One of my favorite comedies of the last decade, for sure. Uh, And Ike Barinholtz carries also another great Cena movie um but yeah like I I think they again they handled a lot of this really well they did it tongue in cheek where it needed to be tongue in cheek and they were just like fuck it we're gonna move on and you're gonna by the end of it you're gonna forget all this because you're gonna be watching these guys use electromagnets to fuck up a so impenetrable train thing. That that's one that's one question I had. Were you surprised by the usage of magnets in this movie? I was not expecting as many magnets as what there are. I were. wasn't, but I was really <laughs> glad they did it because again, it was one of those weird little things that they do, which is they introduce it at the very beginning with uh, spoiler Cena's car launching off a cliff and being caught by a plane with electromagnets, which is amazing. Which was fucking amazing. And then they keep using the electromagnets. So the bad guys are now robbing a, U- a, a U.S. like storage facility under a cathedral in Edinburgh, Scotland. Which, like, sure, man. Um, and they do it with electromagnets to scramble yeah. security and shit. And like, as as soon as they had the guys wheel in that big box, I was like, John Cena's in that box. <laughs> and, I knew it. and then the the other thing about it, it too is they do a really good job of playing it for comedy as well. Yes. Like when Natalie Emanuel is driving, and that scene plays really well too, I think. Um, I, thought and, so. I thought so as well. Yeah, she's trying to like figure out how to drive while also trying to figure out how to use magnets. Like there's that scene where the car literally goes through the building because the magnet has been turned up. And I don't know if the science works on all of the magnet stuff in this movie. That's how they, that's how they caught John Cena! I, I don't know, but I don't. That was care. awesome. Also, I, they didn't they didn't explain that like the the fucking car went through, went like into the side of the truck where like, like all of them were, yeah. and like and none of them were harmed. And also, John Cena wasn't harmed by his car going through a building and into the truck. But guess what? Who cares? I don't care. It's it's so much it's fun. So good. And then it's, they like rig up their cars with magnets and like. I was glad because here's the like okay like we've got we've got this new tech that's what I would do too is I would be like wow this could be really useful like let's fucking use it and so like the fact that they kept doing that and just like they it wasn't like they it was the same in uh, in six with like the harpoons and shit. 
the harpoon gun yeah. that they're always dicking around with, like where Ludacris puts fucking Nas on a harpoon gun. Um, like I, I appreciate that they do those things, and like that it's not just like they kind of introduce you to what they're going to be using before they use it in the big finale scene. And like I think it's a nice little thing to explain like how they got it. Again, it's letting two minutes of action tell a big piece of the story. They didn't need to go, like, find this and, like, Ludacris wasn't in the lab, like, working on electromagnets for two years and bringing it to the crew. It was just like, hey, we found this cool shit from the bad guys. Let's use it against them. Totally. And it was awesome. Okay. It was awesome. You wanted to do a thing on The Rock. Let's let's do your thing on The Rock. Let's do it on The Rock. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean... I think the end, the the end credit scene, um, which I hope people stayed around for. I think we know at this point to just do that. Totally. Uh, where Jason Statham's there beating up a guy in a punching bag, which was very funny. I enjoyed that. Um, Shouts to Jason Statham, who has never... I think the reason Statham and The Rock, I love them both so much, is they're always just playing themselves. Oh, yeah, totally. When was, when was the last Jason Statham movie where he just wasn't Jason Statham? Where he wasn't Jason Statham? I... I Oh God! I'm like trying to think. It's now. like pre-transporter. Yeah, I actually just watched the transporter recently, and it's like it. The score is a mess, and like it's kind of a it's a weird but movie, dri- but it's driving fun. Holds up. Yeah, the driving holds up. It's it great. really does. Um, so like he is. I'm been, trying to think. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I don't. I don't know. Even in, yeah. Even in the Italian job, he's pretty much just Jason Statham. The Meg, he's definitely Jason Statham. The Meg, he's a thousand percent Jason Statham. Yeah, have you seen Wrath of Man, the new Guy Ritchie movie? No, but is he Jason Statham? He's Jason Statham. Yeah. Oh yeah. The the mechanic, the second mechanic movie, mechanic mechanic resurrection, where he, where he, uh, the the pool scene in Mechanic Resurrection. Yeah. He's it's he's the same guy in every movie. He's the same guy, and that's why and like him and The Rock, they just just go do play the hits. God damn it. Yeah. All right. By the way, there's a there's a Jason Statham spy movie coming out with Aubrey Plaza, and it's oh directed by Guy God. Ritchie, and I'm just in. Like, just oh take my, my money now. Send yeah, just maybe twice. Yeah. Fucking just goodness. Just take my money I, now. Uh, yeah, just give it to me. But anyway, so I think what they've set up here is like we know The Rock, Hobbs, and Shaw are a thing. First off, I think that movie everybody was like, oh, it's they're splintering off. I think it was the here's you guys' movie so that you get that big box office rev because y'all are not going to be in nine. We have another story to tell. They'll be back for ten. I think everybody's back for ten. I hope so. I mean, like, it's hard to say. Like, I can't I can't tell I, I, where, I like, the like drama within, like, behind-the-scenes stuff ends and the whole thing begins. I think... So, Vin... The fact that Vin was a little more open about it this time around, it seemed based on some interviews that I saw where he was just like, you know, like I thought, like I I felt like I needed to push the rock more and we had some issues with that. It sounded more like a past thing, you know, like the way he talked about it. And so I like to believe that we bring this all full circle. I think setting up obviously a Han Shaw little confrontation at the end there needs to happen because again, you have to explain somehow how all this shit's going to work out. Cause like you tried to kill me. We can't just like hop in to be right. teammates. Um, but yeah, like I, I think, I think they've set it up for everybody coming together in 10. 
And again, I think the Hobbs and Shaw thing was, all right, we don't have a spot for you in nine. Also, the Vin Rock thing is weird. Let's, you guys do your thing, make a billion dollars, and then we'll do nine without you. Everybody's going to be back in the pool for 10. That's what I, that's my, that's what I foresee. Because again, it's hard, I think it'd be hard for them to bring Statham in. And also I think it sets up a, a, they're going to set up a cool rock Cena thing. Oh, I hope so. That'd be amazing. Um, Has to. We liked Hobbs and Shaw, right? Loved it. Yeah, I did too. I'm in. It was fun. Again, it was stupid fun. Like, Idris Elba's a superhuman? Sure, sign me up. Let's yeah, I'm, I'm definitely... What are, ta- what are you talking about? Like, Definitely in on those like movies. It. People who didn't like it, it was like... One, like, this, like, again, it's like the Statham Rock dynamic. Like, their, their entire personas in every movie is like being like the tough guy snarky humor guy and so they just get to play off of each other doing that and then you bring in uh his sister who just gets to basically be like y'all are being stop the dick measuring contest and let's fucking go do stuff like call out how stupid and kind of overly masculine both of them are and like i think that is what is needed in that just 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 find a more age appropriate sister you know that's that's my only that's my only thing like it's all I need, well, you know. It's not listen. Not, not ideal when you see both Jason Statham and Vanessa Kirby as children, and Jason Statham is God has to be seventeen years older than Vanessa Kirby. Yeah, Hollywood's <laughs> not the best about that. Like th- th- that's a problem, and we should be we should be real about that. That was a real problem. Yeah, but that was that was, that was a bit of an issue. But I, I actually really liked. Uh, Hobbs and Shaw beyond that. I thought it was fun, man. This is a fun movie. It, did, it hit all the notes, you know? Here's here's my take. I liked Hobbs and Shaw better than this movie. Ooh! But we'll, we'll talk about that, because mm. the thing I want to move to next okay. is Fast and Furious rankings. See, I, I, I always struggle with this right after seeing one. Yeah. Because I always feel like I'm a little too in the moment. Um, I'll work bottom up okay i think okay so let's let's go let's go bottom okay Uh, i have four at the bottom yep again for the reasons i said like i think it was it was the one that they were the most confused in um the pacing wasn't as good as what what it has become um or what it was i think and it i just think some of it was like the main action pieces weren't as good as they got to be, and the story wasn't as good as what one was, especially and kind of the early ones. And I yeah. just didn't have as much fun watching it as like two and three. Like two and three were dumb fun movies without the without as much of the action. Yeah, um, like that I, car I, I, action. It was car action, not action action. And yeah. four was like, do we still do car action or do we do action action? How do we do both? How do we tell an intriguing story? And like, just a lot of moving parts. But when I say four is the worst one, it's also one of the most important ones because we don't get to where we got without it. Yeah, I, I think two, three, and four are the three worst. The bottom three. They're the yeah, and I, I would go four, two, three for me. I, I have a soft spot for Tokyo Drift. I do too. I don't have Tokyo Drift last. I have two last. Two is. Yeah, I think that's just- fair. A ridiculous movie uh two is, out, two is outrageous 
for a number of reasons. Like that's like Cole Hauser being full Cole Hauser and like there's like the scene with the rat where he puts the rat on Mark Boone Jr.'s like stomach. Um that's probably the most memorable scene outside of when they drive the car onto the boat, which is just in a like totally absurd setup. I think the movie just doesn't work quite as well in terms of pacing and it just like is fully absurd with mm-hmm out like being almost fun absurd at times three i'm just like a sucker for high school movies like i like high school movies sure like that's sure. kind of what it comes down to for me the reason i have four ahead is i just think four is better from an action uh sequencing standpoint yeah i yeah. think that's fair it's okay better it's still just trying to find its find its rhythm yeah so, so, now so those are those are eight nine ten yeah yeah um whew. okay the best one is still five. Strong agree. Jump ahead. Strong agree. Best one's still five. I think. I think five. Five is up there with Mission Impossible Fallout as two of the best action movies ever. Yeah. Ever. The, the three best action movies of the decade, and it pains me not to put John Wick in this like three mm-hmm. three movie uh, setup here. The three yeah. best action movies of the like 2010 to 2020 era were. Fast Five, Mission Impossible Fallout, and Mad Max Fury Road. Like it's it's those three movies. Just straight. I think, up. I think that's. I think yeah. I think that's fair. And then yeah, I, I would say Wick is close fourth. Um, but yeah, so Five is I think unimpeachable for most everybody. It is. I, I think one of my favorite descriptions of that I saw last night from uh, from Kofi, uh, your boy on uh, Twitter, is. Uh, he said it was. It's like the action movie version of Ocean's Eleven with cars, um, just bringing everybody together. Heist movie. The pacing's incredible. Yep. Um, you add the rock, and it, it was just unbelievable, unbelievable. So the, and like the safe chase is like my two favorite action sequences are the safe chase and the helicopter chase in Fallout. Okay. Yeah, that's, those are good answers. Those are very good are answers. So good, so good. Anyway, uh, I could do I could do a whole podcast on Mission Impossible Fallout. By the way, so if, if you need if you need one when this new, when this new one comes out, maybe we'll do that. We need to. That's need a good to talk. Mi stuff. We can do that too. Uh, okay, so seventh best. I'm gonna go. Oh, man, it's so hard. It's like picking kids. <laughs> So I'll, I'll tell you which one I have seventh best. Okay. I have Fate of the Furious seventh best. I think I was I was debating eight. I think my next three are probably eight, eight, one, and seven, maybe. Oh wow! So you really like this last movie? Hmm. I can't see this. Is, this is where I get caught up in the moment. I had so much fun at the theater last night. And it's it's great. It's a great movie. It's so much. It's so much fun. Um. Mm, yeah, I can. I can. Yeah, I can go with eight there. I think. Yeah, I think it's eight one, and I guess yeah, probably nine or seven in there. Okay, so eight, I one nine seven six Hobbs. Okay, so I I have seven. I have seven is the second best one. I think seven mm. is phenomenal. I think seven is just so fun between between the um like flying between the uh towers 
in Abu Dhabi. Uh, mm, yeah, that's okay. I think I've said, yeah, I think I have seven and six mixed up in my head. Yeah, I think six. So six is the one with Gina Carano. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the plane one. That's the okay, like never ending plane wrong. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Okay, yeah, I'm good with eight there. I would say one would be sixth for me. It might so, be low for some people. So you have sixth uh, in sixth, I believe. Eight, six, one. Yeah, so seven, six, five. Okay. Yeah. Man, I'm bad at this in my head. Uh, yes, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in tenth, uh, you have, you have fi- four. fine. Yeah. Tenth is four, and then two, three. Eight, six, one. Yep. Hobbs. Yep. Seven. Yeah, seven. The when when he says the street always wins and then he stomps and collapses a parking garage. Yeah. I get chills every time. <laughs> seven is amazing. Seven is an unbelievable movie. It has Statham, like full villain. It has The Rock. The, the, it's the one where when the Rock flexes out of the cast, flexes out of the cast which yeah. is yeah, no, had, that is six and seven. That is the best unintentional funny scene in any of these movies. Daddy's got to go to work. Yeah, and flexes out of the cast. It's the best. And then, and then he comes. He drives an ambulance through a drone. <laughs> kicks kicks out the windshield double taps the drone rips off the drone's machine gun walks through the streets of LA and eventually shoots down a helicopter with the drone machine gun it's the best it's so good and then 7 is also then, the one then, with um, where Brian has to run on top of the bus yeah, as it's oh, falling off the, the cliff. Yes, yeah. seven oh. is unimpeachably good. Seven is like it's 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 close to me with five. It's not quite as good as five. I think right. it's very close though. I think that's that's what because like I, I I feel like they paid a little little homage to that with the jeep scene on the bridge in nine. Yeah, yeah. Little a little homage to the boy. Yeah, all time. And then uh, it's it's also the one where the Rock and Jason Statham have the fight in the DSS. That's right. Yeah, that's no, right. seven is seven is. Sorry, I get, yeah, six is the one with uh, Ethan Shaw. They're in London. They have the yeah. little flippy cars. And then and then seven ends like with you crying basically because of Brian. Yeah, like that one's that one's so good. good. Honestly, there's. Like- there's a real three times in theaters and I yeah. There's a real case that that's the best Fast and Furious movie. I don't think and, it is, but also, it's close. Considering the circumstances, I think it's so crazy how well they handled everything. Yeah, I agree. Couldn't agree more. Okay, so you've got you've got starting from ten, four, okay. three, two, eight, six. Well, I've got four, two, three. I have four, two, three. You have you have yeah. I have three third. Okay. Three and eight, sorry. So four, yeah. two, three, eight, six. Yep. One. Yep. Nine. Hobbs, seven, five. Yeah, that's a good that's a good order. I like that order. I've got it. I'll start I from the top. Also be talked to, I could also be talked into in the flipping nine and Hobbs. I think Hobbs is so good. Like, I, I don't I understand back, I why. I can watch. I think I've watched it. I think I've only watched it a few times. Yeah, I've watched years. it two or three times, and I think it's like hilarious every time. Um, I've got it five, seven, 
is like the two they're like in a tier by themselves if we're draft tiering fast and furious rankings five and seven those are the franchise cornerstone super they're the two um i've got one next okay i've got i I respect it one's one's a great movie i've got six next because the highway chase scene where he catches letty is amazing and then is outrageous the uh the longest runway in the world sequence on the plane is also amazing so good and anybody that complained about it can go to hell next i've got hobbs and shaw yeah i've got hobbs and shaw it which is the ninth movie i think it's just fun like it's a dumb movie that is super fun um I really also we haven't talked about like the uh, ramifications of Hobbs and Shaw because I really am wondering if like like wh- who wh- what happens with that villain in Hobbs and Shaw like does he team up with Charlize, Charlize. Theron in ten like I, I wonder like I think that's a really I mean, good idea is Charlize working to, for that guy I don't if know you're trying to weave, if you're trying to weave everything together. There's totally great, works there's a great way to pull it all together yeah just saying then i have then i have nine so this one is a bottom half fast and furious movie and i still really liked it for me well and, well, and this is the thing like for like, me they are all delightful yeah they are all good movies we come at this there are no bad movies we come at this from love yes we these movies them. are great but they are all on the oh it's on fx let's watch list oh totally 100 percent um then i've eight four three two is where i'm at i think that's fair yeah i think i think people will yell at us for having hobbs and shaw as high as we do i think people there are people there are people who think hobbs and shaw didn't exist they they get mad that shaw got brought into the whole thing as a good guy i was like do you really expect them to bring Jason Statham into this and have him depart after one movie? Yeah, it's so good. I beg your like, pardon. I don't. I don't care. I just want to have fun when I go to these movies, yeah. and these movies are People very. Think it's, fun. it's like they're like, oh, he killed, he killed Han, and I'm like, guess what? He didn't. <laughs> guess what? He didn't this time. Look at guess this. What? He didn't. We retcon that too. Fixed it. Oh my god! Okay, last thing: where do we want the Fast and Furious movies to go from here? I, I again, I think it's bring 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 it all home, man. Bring it all together. Um, but do we do we want them? Because like because like this one went bigger, right? This one went to space. Do we want them to space. continue going bigger, or do we want them to like have one where they like go smaller and do like I don't think you a can grittier action movie? I don't think you can go smaller, if only because. You have so many mouths to feed yeah. in terms of cast size that you can't go smaller. Like, I think the thing, like, the difference between this franchise and the Mission Impossible franchise, beyond the Mission Impossible franchise, like, only does things that Tom Cruise can, like, actually fucking do. Like, he's like, I'm going to learn to fly a helicopter to actually do this scene. Right. And it's like, you're an insane person, but okay. Um,. Yeah, like I, I'm not sure Tom Cruise can get the insurance to have him go into space. He's tried. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I think I like. I'm not kidding. I think he's working on it. Anyway, um, but yeah, like I, it's 
they do, and it's also a smaller cast. You have it's it's all about him and supplementary people, right? right. And it's three supplementary people, right? It's it's Benji, it's Ving Rhames, and, and it's, it's Rebecca for Elsa. Yeah, yeah, it's Elsa. As opposed to this movie and franchise, where you have Dom as the central character, it used to be Dom and Brian, and you have a dozen people that you got to get on there, especially if you bring back The Rock. And I think they, and so like I think they have to stay big, but I think they do a good job with it in terms of like the nice thing is it's always car stuff, it's always them like in some kind of chase, and that gives everybody something to do. You know, like I think they figured out the formula of how to have everybody doing what they have to do and like, okay, it's it's Dom who is always going to save the day. But how do we get to that point and who is assisting him in getting to that point? And uh, yeah, I mean, like as far as like I'm just here, I it's one of those things where I'm like, I just just want to see where they want to take it next. Like, I don't even have any sort of like concept of who I want to be have added like I did after after seven I wanted them to bring in Liam Neeson as the patriarch of the Shaw family because like who cares if he has the same accent that'd be cool as hell uh, but then they brought in Helen Mirren as the matriarch of the Shaw family I was like even better you know and so I don't even want to tell them who to add but like I feel at this point they can get whoever the fuck they want like oh totally they got a Cardi B cameo just for shits and gigs in this one. Yeah. You no, know? They, they can get anyone they want for these movies. And so I just kind of want to see where they go. Like, I I have full faith in Vin Diesel and Justin Lin. And you guys go make that sweet, sweet movie magic. Yeah. That's that's where I'm at, too. Robbie, tell the people where they can find your work. Uh, Uprox.com. On Twitter, at Arcaland. Uh, we talk for a long time, as we always do. So so it goes uh yeah man that's that's it up rocks twitters it's where i'm at man go follow robbie he is it's just the most fun person to talk about these movies with uh this has been the game theory podcast please remember rate review subscribe do everything you can to support the show we'll be back next week with some nba draft combine stuff i'll do a recap with matt penny and then uh some nba playoff stuff but until next time we'll talk soon bye